0: Holy Spirit, we pray that You would be the interpreter of Your Word and help us to hear what You have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Just before I preach, I want to do one more plug for Men's Fraternity, which starts this Tuesday. Uh, The last two years, this is the final year of Men's Fraternity, the last two years have been a lot about owning our responsibility as men, and there will be some of that in this year, but a lot of this year is also about just to have more fun in life. How do we do that? It's called the great adventure. How do we find adventure? There'll be a lot of practical tools to figure out how you are uniquely wired uh, and what adventure would uniquely suit you, a lot of practical tools to figure that out. And uh, you younger guys, what I hear the older guys say over and over is, I wish I had this when I was 20. So. You don't want to be that guy later down the road. So 6.30, Tuesday morning, I'll see you there. Okay, as you know, this year we are doing a lot of different sermon series, but we are doing them chronologically through the Bible so that we can get to know Scripture. And right now we are in a series called Born to Thrive. That is, God gives us everything we need, not just to survive, but to thrive. But let me ask you a question. How do you feel? When you hear that title, Born to Thrive, do you think, yeah, I am thriving? Or do you think, "Mm, maybe not so much? Maybe you uh, sometimes feel stressed out or a lot of anger in your life or sad or maybe you're bored sometimes with life. Maybe you've got a health problem, a relationship problem. Maybe you have compulsive behaviors around things like food or sex or alcohol and you don't know how to control them. And so maybe you think, well, if I am supposed to be thriving, then something must have gone terribly wrong, because I don't feel like I'm always thriving. Well, something did go wrong. It's called sin, and it wrecks our lives, and that's what's going on in the story that we're going to look at today, very famous story at the beginning of the Bible, where the devil tempts Adam and Eve. And it shows us that what keeps us from thriving, what keeps us from joy, is sin in our lives. But let me define that word, because I think that's a hard word for our culture. We tend to think that sin is we break some kind of rule, some arbitrary rule that God sets out, we break it, that makes us bad people, right? It's about rule keeping. Someone just told me that they overheard their nine-year-old son trying to memorize the bicycle safety rules. And He was saying them over and over to himself, you know, ride on the right-hand side of the road, use hand signals. And then he said, and remember, most important, Presbyterians always have the (laughs) right-of-way. You're in the right church, right? Good to know. Good to be Presbyterian, right? We kind of tend to think of sin like that, that it's about rule-keeping. But sin, that is not a biblical perspective at all. Sin is not about breaking or keeping rules. Sin is about breaking relationships from a biblical point of view. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. And we see that in the name of the one who tempts us. The Bible gives them two names, Satan and the devil. This is very important. The word Satan means the accuser. The word devil means to divide. That is, Satan is the one who makes false accusations against God to convince us to divide ourselves from him. And then after we have sinned, he turns around and accuses us, which causes us to feel shame, so we hide from God, further dividing ourselves from him. He accuses to divide. And then all kinds of terrible things happen. We end up with wrecked marriages, wrecked friendships. We hurt others. We end up feeling stress, shame, guilt, not to mention poverty, war, all kinds of problems in our world. Sin wrecks our lives. But the good news is Jesus gives us the power to overcome the temptations and the lies of the devil so that we can thrive. But to do that, we have to understand how the tempter works. So let's look at this story one verse at a time. The Bible says that Satan came to Adam and Eve in the form of a serpent and said, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree that is in the garden? Is that what God said? Not quite. Here's what God actually said. God said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Satan phrases his question in a way that makes God sound more strict, more harsh than he actually is. And that's always how he convinces us to sin. Remember, his name accuses to divide. So in order to divide us from God, he accuses God of being out to keep us from having fun. He's sort of this cosmic killjoy in the sky, just constantly policing us out to make us miserable. That's God's mission in life. Keep those people I made from enjoying themselves. So the best way to resist temptation is just to remember that God is good and that he wants us to thrive. And that if he says, don't do this, it's because it'll hurt us. And if he says, do this instead, it's because it'll bring us joy. Now, we get this as parents, don't we? Right. As parents, we are not bent on keeping our kids from having fun, right? They think so, but we're not. We want them to thrive, right? So we say, do these things because it'll help you in life. Don't do this because it'll hurt you. Right? We get it as parents, we just don't get it as people. We think, I don't need God to tell me what to do. I'm an adult. Right. Sure you are. This week I was trying to discipline my son, and He made a face at me. So you know what I did? I made a face back because I'm an adult, right? We think we're so grown up. So we think things like, well, I know what's best for me. And so we start thinking things like, maybe like, well, sex outside of marriage, who cares if it diminishes sex because it unites bodies and not souls? Who cares if it breaks hearts because we're making promises with our bodies that we're not ready to keep? I know what's best for me unforgiveness who cares it feels good that person deserves it who cares if it eats me up with rage who cares what god says i'm an adult i know what's right i know what's best for me i'm going to do things my way really well don't you think that the one who designed you knows better how you work than you do i've said this before but the Designers of my car tell me I need to put oil in the engine to make it run now I could say "Ah, I know better, you know, it's probably just a conspiracy to get me to buy oil I'm not gonna do that But my car would break, right? You see the issue here is who do you trust? To know what's better for you you or the one who made you your father who loves you? Well, he's not so sure So this is what Eve, Eve goes on and she says, well, God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you'll die. Did God say that? But there was no fine print about not touching in God's command, right? Eve is adding to God's command, making him stricter than he actually was. She's already bought into the devil's lie that God is out to get her and keep her from having fun. She's already buying the lie. While back at dinner we were telling our kids to eat carefully so that they don't choke. And my six-year-old daughter said, Yeah, I don't want to choke to death. It's better to die God's way when he decides to kill you himself. (laughs) That's the Eve syndrome. God is mean. He is out to hurt me. He's out to keep me from having fun. Eve is already buying into the lie that God's commands are about restraining her not helping her thrive. Then the devil says, you won't die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Well, that seems like a good thing to do, right? Well, this is Satan's other trick. He never tempts us to do something that looks bad. He always makes it look good, whatever it is. So we end up thinking to ourselves, I have the right to lash out at this person in anger. They deserve it. Or I know that this may be an addictive behavior, but it makes me feel better, and I deserve a little comfort in my life. Sin always masquerades as good, even though the results of it wreck our lives. So Eve gives in and eats it. And then it says, she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Anything weird about that sentence to you? Who was with her? Like, what is he doing while this whole tempting thing is going on? He's right there. I mean, watching the game, right? What's going on? Wake up, bud. Your wife is conversing with a talking snake. That can't be good. (laughs) And, guys, this is the male sin spiritual passivity. It's just something we men fall into. Let the women do the praying, let the women be the ones to be part of God's rescue mission to the world. I'm too busy. Man up, guys. Come on. Take the lead spiritually. And by that, I don't mean boss everyone around. Leadership in the Bible is always about serving others. And what that means is you be the one to initiate prayer in the home. You be the one to get the family going to church. You be the one to say there are boys in this community, in this church, who desperately need male role models to show them how to be men. So I'm going to volunteer in the Sunday school or the youth department to show them how. You be the one to join the adventure of participating in God's rescue mission in your office, in your home, in your world. It's a rescue mission, for heaven's sakes. What's more manly than that? Come on, guys. I know. I'm in your kitchen now, right? I was preaching, and now I'm meddling. But I don't want to be like Adam. You don't want to be like Adam. Because look how it turned out for him. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And the Hebrew word therefore, naked has the same root as snake. So they realized that they were snaked. <laughs> A bad thing to be. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Well, they wanted the knowledge of good and evil, and they got it. Good lost and evil gained. And with it came shame, which is always the result of sin. We start to think, man, if people only knew what's in my past, if they only knew what I think, if they only knew what I do when nobody's looking, well, then. And so we cover over with all kinds of fig leaves, impressive jobs, salaries, achievements, to hide our flaws, hide our insecurities from one another. And then we also distance ourselves from God. The text goes on, and it says... Then they hid from the Lord God in the garden. But remember what I said a couple of weeks ago. God never gives up. So even after they hid, God pursues them and he says, where are you? And Adam answered, I was afraid because I was naked, So I hid. Those are some of the saddest lines in Scripture. Where once they enjoyed this close personal relationship with God, now they feel distant from him and they're afraid of him. And there are other consequences to their sin as well. God says now it's going to be hard for you to earn your daily bread. Their relationship gets all messed up. They start to bicker and argue and fight with each other. All kinds of stuff. You see, whether it's consumerism or unforgiveness or addictions, sin looks good going in, but it always wrecks our lives, not even necessarily as a punishment from God. There are just natural consequences when we sin. Commit adultery, you're going to hurt a whole lot of people, including yourself, right? There are just natural consequences, which is why God says, don't do it, because there are going to be consequences. And here's the deal. We can't spend our time sowing our wild oats and then hope for a crop failure doesn't work that way there are consequences to our sin which is why God says don't do it but even in the middle of their sin and your sin and my sin our father continues to love us God tells Adam and Eve that there's going to come a man from them that will undo the damage that they just did first prediction of Jesus in the Bible And then he also makes them clothes out of animal skins and showing them that he still loves them and that he's still caring for them even in the middle of their rebellion. This is also a foreshadowing of Jesus showing that it takes the spilling of blood to to deal with our sin. You see, no matter what you've done, your Father in Heaven says to you, I love you. Yeah, but what about the time when I... No, your Father in Heaven says, I love you. Yeah, but when... No, I love you. Yeah, but sometimes I... I love you no matter what. God loves you, and there's not a darn thing you can do about it. No matter what, I love you. And then if we fess up to our sins, he's going to love us whether we do or not, but if we fess up to our sins because confession is a relief, we get the added benefit of feeling the burden of shame lifted if we confess. My wife and I used to have a dog, and when it did something wrong, it just knew, right? Dogs just know, right? So it it would kind of go hide in the corner and hold its head down in a kind of doggy confession, right? It's kind of, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned, doggy style, right? Now I have a question, do cats ever do that, right? Do cats ever repent? No. You know why? Because cats are evil. This is just a biblical teaching. Don't argue, right? We need to be like... I'm getting emails for that one. I just know. We need to be like dogs, right? Because confession brings relief from the shame we feel. There's a priest named Brennan Manning who tells a story of a 26-year-old man who came to him for counseling. and, And this young man, he was addicted to drugs. He'd had six marriages already. And as he was talking, Manning listened and was trying to figure out what to say. He was thinking, should I quote to him the doctrines of the church? Should I get him to go to confession? Should I tell him how to annul his marriages? But when Manning finally opened his mouth, the only thing that came out was he said to him, I have a word from you, from your brother Jesus. Welcome home. And this young man said, who is this Jesus that he would welcome someone like me. I think I need to know him. So they spent the rest of their time talking about Jesus. Well, later that night, Brennan Manning began to wonder if he'd done the right thing. Shouldn't I maybe have been harder on him to teach him a lesson so he wouldn't do it again? And he was kind of agonizing about this, and finally he just blurted out, Lord Jesus, forgive me for being too merciful to a sinner. For if it is a fault... It is a fault I learned from you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you haven't done. Your Father in heaven says to you, I love you no matter what, no matter what. And then he gives us the power to resist the lies of the devil so that we can avoid sin and thrive in the way he always meant us to thrive. So just before I close, let me give you a couple of practical tips for how to resist temptation. And I've said most of these before, so I'm just going to review them here. First, when you are tempted, ask this simple question. Whenever you face temptation, stop yourself and ask, who do I trust? Because that's what's at stake really here. Who do I trust? Do I trust myself to figure out what is best for me, or do I trust the one who made me? The other day, my 10-year-old daughter asked to do something that I knew wasn't going to be good for her, so I told her no. And you know what she did? She rolled her eyes at me. She actually rolled her eyes at me. Like, it was a foreshadowing of teenage years to come. So I told my wife about it later that afternoon, and my wife said that she just read a really interesting article that cows can't roll their eyes. And we reflected on how pleasant that must be for cow parents, right? But how frustrating if you're a teenage cow, right? You're sitting there, Dad, you are so lame. If I could only roll my eyes at you, that and opposable thumbs would be awesome. Something in us just wants to roll our eyes at God when he says, Don't do this. It'll hurt you. Even if it looks good now, it'll hurt you later. But do this instead because it will give you joy. But who do you trust? You or the one who made you? Second, never run from sin. Run to something that's life-giving instead. Don't sit there and think, I will not lust. I will not lash out in anger. I will not, Why? because then all you're thinking about is the lust or the anger, or the whatever, right? Instead, do something that is healthy and life-giving. Pray, be with friends, get involved with God's rescue operation. Let the good push out the bad. Don't try to just avoid the bad. As Christians, we're not defined by what we don't do. We're defined by what we do instead. Third, most important, cultivate closeness with Jesus. None of us have an excess of temptation that we can't resist. We have a deficit of Jesus' presence. And there are days when I feel his presence so much that there's this, I can feel it in my chest. There's like this warmth in my chest. And it's those days that I don't lash out in anger at anyone. I don't even want to. It's those days that I can walk past Victoria's Secret in the mall and not even steal a glance sideways, not even a little one. Honest. Don't want to. Rather be with my wife. It's those days that I want to help others and reach out and serve in Jesus' name because it sounds fun. When you feel your Father's presence and His love for you, sin just doesn't look appealing. It just looks stupid and boring and dumb. So pray. Come to worship. Listen for those thoughts that are God's thoughts speaking to you. Ask to be close to Him. You'll remember a couple years ago, we did a series called Break Free. And at the end, we had you write what you wanted to be free from on a piece of dissolving paper and put it in the water and watch it dissolve. Well, after we did that, I got an email from a woman, and she and her husband now have moved to California. But let me read this to you. This is what she said. The Tuesday before your sermon, the Holy Spirit led me into my husband's home office. I looked at the history on his computer and was disappointed to see many porn links. I wasn't sure how to confront him, but I knew I had to. Well, he lied a bit, saying coworkers had sent things to him, although it wasn't his work computer, so that didn't make sense. But he did admit that he was looking around, but not every day. I told him how it made me feel, and he gave me the "every guy does it" excuse. But he apologized and said that he wouldn't do it again. Wise well, having a very difficult time dealing with it, but it's not something you can easily discuss with friends or family. Not my secret to tell. Well, then we did the dissolving paper thing. And that night I asked him if he'd given something to God, and he said yes, but he wouldn't tell me what he'd written down. I had an idea that it was porn, but I thought maybe it was something worse like adultery. My trust in him had greatly diminished, because if he was doing porn, I wasn't sure what else was going on. Well, I sat on it for a couple of days, but I finally really told him that the fact that he had all these secrets made me feel like our marriage was a lie, and it hurt me and made me feel like I wasn't worth anything. Well, long story short, he got how big of a deal it was and really opened up to me. Told me things that infuriated me, but I kept listening. I told him that I'm probably not the best person for him to talk to, but he's too embarrassed to seek someone else. So I'm trying to make the best of it by doing research, reading books with him, etc. It's only been a few days, but we've already seen how powerful God is. Bill, not his real name, has seen a lot of progress in just a short time. He's beginning to see how destructive this is on many levels. God only knows the damage that could have been done if this had gone on longer. We could have been a divorce statistic and our kids would have felt the brunt of that. The chain of events was so clearly God and that has helped both of us to want to change. Six months later, she sent me this email. She said, just want to update you. Things have been going really, really well. Bill is really transformed and is feeling very close to Jesus. He has more joy than I've ever seen in his life. He feels God's power when he prays. He's reading scripture every day. And he's even talked about Jesus with a few people and likes it. One of those responded very positively. He's also a Christian. They met in Chicago on a business trip. And this fellow Christian shared that he had issues with pornography too. And he's agreed to support Bill through this walk. So even though Bill wouldn't reach out, God sent someone to him. Our relationship is better, more fun than ever. We didn't think we were disconnected before this, but now we are very connected in every way. I'm working on my own issues because I have them, and we've opened up to each other a lot. I guess you never know what good can come out of such a bad thing. When this man was able to trust that God's way was better for him than his way, when he got closer to the Father and felt his love, when he ran toward healthy things like being more involved with his family, he had more joy, His addiction was broken, and good crowded out the bad. And the result for him was freedom. Freedom from guilt, freedom from being controlled by pornography, but more importantly, freedom for. Freedom for a fantastic, joy-filled marriage filled with fun and closeness and passion. Now, your deal may not be porn. Maybe it's overspending or a hard heart or gossip or whatever it is. When we resist the devil's lies and turn to our father, we thrive. I recently read a story about a woman who got pulled over for speeding, and the officer asked to see her license, and she said, well, I don't have one. You see, I killed the owner of this car, stole it, and put his body in the trunk. So the officer called for backup. Well, a few minutes later, his captain arrived and slowly approached the car with his gun, and and the woman said, is there a problem, sir? And he said, yeah, my deputy told me that you murdered the owner of this car and have his body in the trunk. And she said, well, that's ridiculous. You can look for yourself. So he did, and there was nothing in there. And so he said, well, do you have a driver's license? And she said, well, of course, and handed it to him. And the captain was kind of confused, and he said, look, one of my deputies told me that you didn't have a license, that you stole this car, and that you murdered the man who owned it and put his body in the trunk. And the woman said, really? Bet that liar told you I was speeding, too. The devil is like that, (laughs) casting doubt on the goodness and the trustworthiness of God, that he is out to keep us from having fun. So we better take matters into our own hands, but when we do, the results wreck our lives and steal our joy. So who do you trust? You or your father who loved you so much, he came himself in the person of Jesus to find you when you'd wandered away from him. This story says that after she was tempted, Eve took the fruit and ate it. Take and eat, the two verbs that describe your sin. Take and eat. Sound familiar? Same two words Jesus uses at the Last Supper when he says to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. In his death and resurrection, Jesus reverses the effects of the fall and uses the same two verbs that did us in to save us. And the Bible says that Jesus was tempted by the devil on many occasions, one time in particular in the desert, It's a sort of do-over of the story we just read. Only this time, Jesus resists and the devil flees. And Jesus says if we only ask him, he will give us that same power to resist temptation. We have to cooperate with it, but he will give us that power. So who do you trust? You or your Father in heaven who says to you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what, I love you. Now, follow me. And you will thrive more than enough with plenty left over. So, Jesus, we come to you, I come to you, confessing that we are loaded with sin, but we know that you are quick to forgive. And so, we thank you for that, and we ask for your power to see the devil's lies for what they are lies and trust you in all of your goodness. And follow you into the amazing future you have for us. We can't do it on our own, Jesus. But with you we can. So we turn to you. In your name. Amen.